Welcome back, everybody. It's uh, September 7th, 2020. Can't believe it. August just flew by, but uh, here it is. Um, I was thinking today about, you know, as the season begins, um, all the holiday season seems to seems to begin around this time as the leaves change and we have fall festivals and <clears throat> then we have um, Halloween and Thanksgiving and then Christmas, you know. It makes me think of the people throughout my life that have sowed into me and done things for me above and beyond what anyone else would do. And um, I was just thinking about that, <clears throat> and I thought, you know, I should probably share that with my listeners. <clears throat> Excuse me. When we were little, I remember when I was about eight years old, um, my parents didn't always make the right decisions when it came to finances. And so um, when, when we were younger, um, I remember not having a pair of shoes to wear. I had a raggedy pair that had holes in them and my toes were coming out the ends. And I'm not really sure why my parents didn't make that a priority for me. But uh, at any rate, I remember these, my parents had a place that they took in strays from the, from the community. And um, there were these two guys, Earl and Raleigh, and uh, they must have seen that we were needing something. And I guess they saw that I needed some shoes. Earl and Raleigh were hired by my father at the time to, I believe, handle the books of what my mom and dad had created, uh, a ministry, I guess, so to speak where they would take in strays and help people who are homeless and kids and in situations where they needed to be um, out of the home for whatever reason. And uh, I remember Earl and Raleigh taking me to the TGNY. It was a, if you're not, <laughs> if you're not 55 or older, you probably don't remember a TGMY, maybe you do, but it was a sort of the Walmart of the day. And I guess this must have been about 1975, 74, and uh, maybe 75. Anyway, they took me and bought me a pair of shoes, and they weren't the most expensive shoes, I'm sure, but they made me feel those shoes made me feel so like I could run forever, like I had a like I had wings attached to my shoes and I could run faster. <clears throat> and uh, I'm sure I thanked them, but I'm not I'm not completely sure that I thanked them enough. And I don't know where Earl and Raleigh are today. They were much older than me at the time. They were probably in their 30s back then, so they're probably dead and gone, left this world, but uh, I remember that, and it was it was such a big deal, and uh, 
another time, um, I was an adult and uh, we were struggling financially. And uh, we were just living paycheck to paycheck. And <clears throat> even though I was nursing, I was the only one working. And uh, I remember running into a friend of mine who I'd gone to nursing school with, Charmin Moon. We used to call her Charmin Moon Pie. And uh, she took me out to lunch. We were meeting just because we hadn't seen each other in forever. And I'd been out of nursing school for a good time now. And uh, we were always friends. And, and she, um, she took me out to lunch and she had made a card it was a beautiful card, I still have it today, and inside of that card, she tucked $100. And what she didn't know was I was literally on my last dollar, and she made a difference in my life. And I've never forgotten that. And uh, of course, when I was in nursing school, we, my wife and I were struggling quite a bit because it was hard to go to nursing school eight hours a day, five days a week, and get a job. Um, and so my wife worked part-time at a nursery, at a church nursery, where she attended. And um, she made a little bit of money, but not much. But uh, I poured everything I had into nursing school. It was my last effort to get out of law enforcement and get into something that I could afford to take care of my family with and uh, I remember we um, we were in nursing school and it was I want to say it was the last last year maybe it was the first year we were there I can't remember but I guess it must have been about 1994 and um, my buddy Roger Moore came over he was in school with me young kid smart probably early 20s back then um, just a super, super kid. He himself was adopted and uh, had a, uh, a very wealthy family adopting, but he was just as down to earth as he could be and just one of the nicest guys that I believe I ever, ever had the pleasure to, to make friends with. And uh, one night, Roger and I, as we usually did, we would study together. He came over and uh, of course, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's 30 now, she was just barely walking. And uh, we lived in a, an apartment above a, a garage. And um, wasn't very big at all. I think it only had two rooms to the whole thing. Three rooms, the living room, the bedroom, and the kitchen, which was an eat-in kitchen dining room. We didn't care, though, because it, my wife and I were just happy to have it. But um, we didn't have a whole lot of extras that year for Christmas. And uh, we didn't have a tree, we didn't have presents, we didn't have any decorations or anything. We just simply could not afford it. It was everything we had just to make it through the, through the week, you know. And so Roger came over and he didn't say a word. That was Roger's way, he just, he didn't say a word. He just looked around, I guess, and surveyed. And he asked one question and he said, are y'all going to put up a Christmas tree? And I said, well, we decided, you know, we're not going to do it this year. We, you know, 
next year when, when I graduate nursing school and I get a job, you know, we'll make up for it. You know, I didn't make a big thing about it because I was embarrassed. You know, you don't want to admit to someone that, you know, you can't afford a Christmas tree. And uh, we studied and finished our night and prepared for the whatever test we had the next day, which seemed like there was one about every day. And uh, I don't know, it must have been within a week, Roger comes pulling up in that little truck of his, and in the back of the truck is a, a real Christmas tree, and he jumps out and grabs that tree, and Roger wasn't very tall at all, he's a very short guy, handsome fella though, um, good looking guy, very smart. But uh, he grabbed that tree, which was bigger than him, and he ran up the stairs to the upstairs apartment, and he brought it in, and I just had a lump in my throat. I couldn't hardly speak or thank him. <clears throat> and he brought up everything that was needed to put the tree up. Lights, tree stand, um, decorations for the tree. Um, and then he ran back down again, and he got a, a big bag like a garbage bag full of presents that were already wrapped. I'm sure he paid to have them wrapped. And he brought them up and he said, everybody's got to have a Christmas. And uh, that was probably the most memorable Christmas I believe I ever had as an adult. And he ran back downstairs before I could say anything. And he knew I was, I was probably too proud to, to say that I needed help. But my wife and I just stood there and I silently wept. And Emily, my oldest daughter, who was just barely toddling at the time, she was fascinated by the presents and all the decorations. And I remember that like it was a year ago. And I've never forgotten it. And every Christmas I post that story on Facebook. And uh, Roger, Roger lives in Australia now, Queensland. And uh, we rarely talk. But I never not think of Roger that I don't think of his kindness to me and how... Just a kid could have such sympathy and empathy for someone. And uh, I remember a, another time when I was, I guess I was, a, I think, 11 years old. We didn't have anything to eat in the house. and We lived in a raggedy old trailer, in a raggedy old trailer park with all the poor white trash people. That's what we were. We really just were poor white trailer trash. My dad was gone as he usually was. He found a job driving a truck and he'd stay gone because he didn't want to live in that either. But he abandoned us most of the time. And my mother, she stayed in the bed. She took Valium a lot and slept, so we didn't see much of her. But a man, a young guy came over, was friends with my older brother. He came over and made a comment about he was hungry. And uh, 
He opened up our refrigerator and there was nothing in there. He opened up the cabinets, there was nothing there. And, and he said, uh, y'all don't have any food in this house? Of course, we were embarrassed. We didn't, we didn't know. We didn't have the funds or a job to, to work and buy groceries, but he was just as poor as we were, I'm sure, probably. But he went next door to where he lived. I think his mama lived next door. And he brought over a big bag of potatoes. And I remember we cut those up and fried them up. We did have some Crisco that we used. and We ate potatoes for several days. And I've never forgotten that, the kindness that he showed to us, you know. And through the years, I've had opportunities to repay, to pass it along, I guess, or, you know, um, do good things for other people. And I've, I've tried to do that a lot throughout my life because I know what it's like to be in a place of want. I know what it's like to not have enough money at the end of the week or the end of the paycheck and you've paid your bills and some bills didn't get paid and you decided which ones you could get away with not paying this week and still put groceries on the table. But it's those people that came to our aid and were kind to us and showed us such a kindness that I'll never forget. And it sparked inside of me a desire to do kind things for other people, you know, and uh, especially folks who are struggling, poor folks. I mean, you know who's struggling and who's not. You can always tell, you know. I remember uh, one time within the last year, I guess, I was in a Dollar General and the lady in front of me was swiping her card and it wouldn't take it, it wouldn't take it, and she tried another one, it wouldn't take it. And I just reached up and slid my card through and paid for it. And people in line just couldn't believe it, you know. They were all just poor people trying to make it, you know. But there's just something about doing good things for people and makes me feel good. I always, I always feel like I'm in a place now in my life where I'm the best I've ever been financially and and in so many other ways, you know, I'm just so much better off than I've, than I've been. Uh, uh, I love doing things like that for people. I, uh, I love helping other people. I really do. It's, uh, it's something I've always enjoyed, even when I was poor, you know, when I was a kid. But maybe there was times in your life when people had done things like that and uh, helped you out or given you a hand up instead of a handout. But I just thought today that I want to recognize those people that were kind enough to sow into my life and be kind enough to, you know, give of their own resources to me. So maybe you look around your neighborhood, your community. Maybe you've done that a few times yourself. Maybe you've bought someone's groceries. Maybe you paid for someone's gas, you know. Maybe you gave a couple of dollars to somebody who you knew needed it. Um, I just think that sometimes we have to stop and take an account of our lives and you know, kind of uh, 
reassess, maybe. Um, look for ways to, to be better and to help our fellow man and woman. And so I hope this encourages you as you listen to it to maybe do something nice for somebody. Maybe it's just holding the door. Maybe it's just smiling. Maybe it's just listening to an old person who's lonely and has no one else. And you're there and you can just listen to them. Let them talk about the old days. Let them tell you about what it used to be like. You know, maybe it's the guy on the street who's homeless. Maybe he's hungry. Maybe he's just sad. Um, Maybe it's the lady in the grocery store that's counting her change to, to pay for groceries, you know, or pulling out dollar bills here and there, you know. There's always somebody, if we just look around, we can find someone who needs our help. And if we're able to help, I think it's incumbent upon us to do that. So hope you've been encouraged by this, and uh, thanks for joining in and listening. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back. And uh, today is Wednesday the 8th, I believe, anyway, of September. Good gracious, a little bit of rain this morning. But uh, I was thinking this morning about our trajectory in life, and, and I know that God has a plan for every single one of us. Even if things aren't working out the way you think they should, God has a plan See, I look at it like this. God has written a book of my life. My entire life is in a book form. And uh, that book has already been written. The beginning, the preface, the preface, the prologue, everything. Everything's been done. And we only get to turn the pages back from what we've read. We can't go forward. We can't read ahead of ourselves. But every day, God reads our story to us by us living it out. Now, that's just an analogy that I use, but I use that for a reason. Your story is already written. You're just walking it out, okay? And God knows every step you're going to take, and He directs your steps, and He leads you where you need to go. If you're following God, you know, he will go with you and he'll lead you and he'll take you where you need to go. If you take the reins and start writing your own story, which I don't even know if you can, but if you, if you don't live with a belief in something higher than yourself, and I choose to say God, <clears throat> then it's almost like there's no hope for tomorrow because there's no... I don't know, there's, there's no guarantee of tomorrow, which we don't have that anyway, but beyond this life, there, for me, I believe there is a guarantee. There's an there's a, a eternal life that I'll live one day um, in another place, uh, maybe another dimension. Uh, I mean, obviously another dimension, but, uh, but as far as life goes, um, I think that I look back on my life in retrospect, in, in the past, I look back uh, with a perspective of today, <laughs> and um, and I see where God 
brought me through things that I just didn't think I was going to make it through. I see times when in my life I was not following God. I was not doing the things that God... Well, I should say it like this. I wasn't really... I wasn't really... um, listening to the voice of God regularly. Only when I needed him and I got myself in trouble that I'd go to him. So I was kind of like an insolent little child who, you know, would get in trouble and run back to their parents and expect them to, you know, make everything okay. Well, as I look back on times in my life when I thought that maybe, maybe there was a, you know, a decision that had to be made or or I'd say, oh, Lord, I really, you know, I want this or I want that. And I'd pray about it and pray about it and pray about it. And I'd ask him. And it was a soulish, selfish prayer because, you know, I wanted what I wanted because it served my purpose. You know, whether it be a, a date or a girl or a, or a job, mostly jobs. I don't think I ever really prayed for girls. But, but jobs, definitely. I prayed for jobs. And there were times when I would have a job that I hated, you know. Uh, or I would work in a particular hospital or, or nursing home, and I'd hate it. I'd just absolutely hate it, and I'd think, God, why can't I have a, a real job somewhere, a regular job? Or you know, and even though I was a nurse, it was a real job. It was just some, something I didn't like, and um, it was difficult at times for me to walk that out. But then I realized where I am today, the job that I have today, is the the greatest job I've ever had in my entire life. I mean, I've I've done a lot of things, but I love where I am today. And, and, you know, someone asked me recently, uh, would I, if I could go back in time and change one thing about my past, just one decision, one thing, you know, um, would I do it? And I said, no, I wouldn't. And the reason I wouldn't do it is because Everywhere that I went in my past, every step I took, every direction, every path that I went through, everything that God took me through and brought me to the other side, brought me to where I am today. And for me, I would have to give up what I have today if I made a decision differently back then, you know, in times when when I thought I couldn't, you know, do this job any longer, or I didn't like this job, or I wanted to do something differently. You know, and I would say, Lord, I want this, I want that, and, and it wouldn't come through. And then, you know, I'd be like, you know, God, what am I doing wrong? What, what, you know, what have I done to make you mad? And, and that's just not the way it is. And so as I've matured, I look back on my life. And, um, well, for instance, uh, when I was a kid, um, like just, I think I was late teens, maybe maybe early 20s, um, I uh, I'd thought seriously about becoming a truck driver. And um, I, um, I was scheduled to ride with a guy all the way up to Maine to pick up some seafood and come back to Florida. And um, it, was, uh, it was a decision that my dad had made uh, you know, to help me out because I told him I was interested in truck driving. And um, he, he made an arrangement with a friend of his who was a truck driver. And he said, can, you, can my son go with you and just kind of ride and look? Because back then... We didn't have, we might have had schools for CDL, and, but they didn't have, it, it wasn't that prevalent like it is today. So at any rate, I didn't do it. I decided against it. I just, something inside of me, I just didn't really want to do that. And I, and I chickened out and I didn't do it. And another time, um, I was going to be 
a um, uh, what do you call it? Oh man, I can't believe it. Uh, a flight. Um, good lord. People that work in the tower. My mind is straying sometimes. I'm sorry. Um, but I was going to be air traffic controller. And um, because at the time, Ronald Reagan, our, our president, um, had told the uh, striking air traffic controllers that if you do this, you know, you lose your job and you do not get hired back. And so he had this national, you know, thing where anybody who wanted to be air traffic controller, regardless of education, you know, they were they were taking people and training them. And um, and I thought, man, that'd be a great job because, you know, they made they made pretty good money and I didn't have to have a degree. And that was something I didn't have. And so um I thought, well, I'll try that. But then something inside of me just said, no, that's not really the path for you. And, and I didn't do it. And so um, I didn't do that. And so I felt like maybe there was a reason that I didn't do that too, you know. And um, there was another time when I almost became a TSA agent. Um, it was a federal job. I was looking for a federal, federal job. I was looking for a job that had good retirement, you know, um, and I was, I was offered a job uh, as a TSA supervisor, actually. And um, it could have been a really, really lucrative job for me um, and long-term and um, federal for that matter. But I don't know, I just, I didn't do it. And, um, and it was like, and there were times too when I would try to get a job, but I wouldn't get it. Like I tried this job in a hospital over in um, uh, Lake Butler. And, um, and I was really a good fit. I had all the qualifications. I, I mean, there was really no reason for them not to hire me. And they decided not to hire me. And I was just kind of, you know, devastated because I thought, well, gosh, this is crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm more than qualified, but they didn't hire me. And I was, you know, and I let it kind of get to me a little bit. And it, it bothered me because it's a form of rejection. And that's something I've had to learn to deal with, too, is that rejection comes in all sizes, in all forms, and in all ages. And you just have to learn to deal with it. But um, I didn't get that job. And uh, I remember uh, another job that I'd applied for at a company that would have kept me home and not let me travel. And um, they, didn't, they didn't hire me either. And, and I just, and I asked them, I said, well, you know, what, what was the reason? Why didn't you hire me? And they said, well, we just found someone with, you know, more experience. I didn't think they were being honest. But for whatever reason, these things didn't work. These were doors that I, that I've, you know, I believe that are open or closed. And sometimes they're closed, you know. Um, when, when God closes a door, you know, hopefully he'll open another one. And, and in my life, from experience, I can just tell you that he has, he's always opened up another door and that door led to another door. And then that door led to another door. And then that door led to where I am today. And so I look back on my life and I think of all the, all the places that I've been and all the things that I've done and all the experiences that I've had in my life. And I realized that, you know what, everything was leading me up to this point today. And then tomorrow, everything from today will lead me up to tomorrow. And so don't despise where you are now. If you're young, you know, and you're, you're sort of thinking to yourself, maybe, maybe my life just isn't going the way I want it to. Things aren't happening the way they ought to happen. If you're, if you'll take just a moment and if you're a believer, I believe if, if you're a believer, and I, and I believe this to be true, if you're, if you're truly a believer and you, you trust God, then uh, he's going to lead you in the right direction. It may not be what, exactly what you want. It may not be exactly where you want to be. 
but there's something in store. And I always think about the story of Joseph. And uh, <clears throat> Joseph was not prepared. Joseph in the Bible I'm talking about. He was not prepared to take over as second in command in all of Egypt. And um, he, he had to be, I guess, for lack of better words, he had to be trained, you know. And God had to send him through some really tough training that was, I'm sure, extremely difficult for him. You know, he was in prison for, gosh, seven years, maybe longer. Um, and, you know, he was sold into slavery for years. You know, I mean, he had, a, he had as my granddaddy would say, a rough road to hoe. And uh, yet, he did it. And um, he came out. I always think about it like this. You know, Joseph, went to, Joseph was in prison. And that morning when he got up, after, you know, I guess seven years in prison, he probably thought, you know, I'm just going to die here in prison. And uh, that morning when he got up as a prisoner, that night he laid his bed, his head down on a bed in the palace. So he went from one transition to another, a huge transition from being this this uh, criminal, this prisoner, to being second in command of all of Egypt, which at that time was, you know, the a huge uh, modern uh, civilization. And so I think back, and as I look at my life, and you can look at yours too, and just take kind of take a, uh, I guess, a, a inventory. You know, maybe you're young now, and uh, maybe you're thinking, maybe it's just not going the way I wanted it. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. I wanted to do. I wanted to be here, and I wanted to be there, and I wanted to be with this person or whatever. There may be a reason. I mean, not maybe. I believe there is a reason that you you have not gotten where you need to get to. Maybe take a moment just to steal your your spirit and your soul and just ask the Father, you know, what do I need to learn here so I can move on? You know, because there's things we have to learn. We have to be trained to step into the future of what God has for us. And so you may need training. There may be training going on right now. There may be learning that's going on right now. You may have just stepped into that place where you're like, this is where I want to be. This is, this is exactly where I want to be. I love this, where I am right now. But I believe God will keep taking you forward and upward. And he'll increase your, uh, your responsibility, which also increases your, your um, like uh, the, the verse about JPEG. Uh, I think it was J, J, JPEG. No, not JPEG. It was um, Jehu. Anyway, I'm terrible with remembering the Bible, and I apologize. But um, he said, "Increase my tent. You know, enlarge my tent. You know, the prayer of Jabez. Sorry, jeez, Manetti. Um, the prayer of Jabez. You know, when he said, "Lord, increase my tent. Increase what he was basically saying was increase my my worth, my my um, impact on my community." Um, my, you know, the authority that he has. I mean, Joseph was given authority second only to the, um, to the king, you know. And so you may be in a place right now where you're kind of struggling. And if you're struggling, I want to encourage you, just stop for a moment 
don't let fear and, and the angst of, of not having what you have or, or getting what you want um, prevent you from just taking a moment and thank God for where you are. You know, thank Him for where He's brought you and thank Him for where He's taking you. You know, um, just take a moment because the enemy, and we all know who the enemy is. The enemy is the enemy of our soul is Satan, and he hates us. He hates us all individually and equally. He wants us to struggle through this life, and this life is a gift from God. Everything he gives us is this. This is a gift. This life is a gift. You only get one chance to do it. I'm not aware of anybody who gets to come back and, and do it over or a, or, a, or a do-over day. Okay, so I feel like. This is a gift from him to us. And as he has given this, um, we, we know that we have a limited time to experience this life. <clears throat> and so, with that being said, I'll wrap up by saying, just take a moment, look back on your life, take a uh, self-inventory of your life and where it is and where you're going and take a moment to just thank the Lord and for where he's brought you and what he's taught you and where he's going to take you and I think that you will find that peace will wash over you and you'll you'll enjoy where you are a lot more and be less apt to uh, what's the word I'm looking for to complain or grumble, maybe. And maybe this is something you have to do every day. I know every morning I get up, uh, I'm, I'm thankful. I thank the Lord. First words out of my mouth most of the time is thank you, Lord, for my home. Thank you for my shower. Thank you for my hot water. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my resources, you know. And it's not that I believe he's going to take these things away from me if I don't thank him. It's just that it keeps my mind in a place where I can be ever present and recognize what he's done for me, where he's taken me and where I'm going. Now I'm 55 years old, uh, be 56 in December. Um, you know, my life is, 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 you know, coming to an end soon. I mean, statistically, it's not a dark thing. It's not, you know, I'm not wishing that I would die or anything, but I mean, realistically speaking, you know, I might have a, uh, maybe 15, 20 years left. You know, when you look at life that way and you kind of examine it from a perspective of calculating the years that you've lived and the years that are facing you, it's, it's, um, it's kind of sobering because all of a sudden you realize, you know, it's like a cruise. If you've ever taken a cruise before, you've ever gone on vacation and, you know, um, you know, in the, the, the first day of your vacation, you don't really think about the end of your vacation because you're so wrapped up in the, in the first day and all the things you're going to do and you're, you're anticipating all the things that can, can happen on your vacation and maybe you've been there before and so there's memories that you draw from and, you know, we're going to do this again and we're going to go here again and we're going to see this, you know. Um, but then as it starts to wind down, you realize... Like when I was on the cruise, it was like, this was our last night. This was our last night on the cruise. And, you know, I was sitting there eating dinner and I thought, man, all these meals and this beautiful scenery of the ocean and, and the islands and things that we saw, is, that's coming to an end because in the morning we'll pull into port and we'll have to disembark. And uh, it's going to be 
it's over, you know, it's done. Now, I can book another cruise and go, but life is such that this is, this is it, you know. When you're done, you're done. So take note, take a moment to take an inventory of everything that, you know, God has done for you. And trust me, I've been in some rough situations. I, I know what it's like when you're, when you're staring at the abyss and there's very little hope or no hope at all. Uh, I've been there. Uh, it's tough, especially if you have a family that's depending on you. You know, um, the enemy can come in and call you a loser and uh, say you're worthless and, you know, but don't listen to the enemy. The enemy's never going to tell you anything good. It's always going to tell you things bad. Listen to the voice that you trust, the voice of the God. And uh, think about where you are. Think about where you're going. And that's my podcast for today. Hope that encouraged you. And uh, we'll meet back here again, same time. Thanks. Good morning, everybody. Today is September the 12th, 2022, and I thought I'd get right into the podcast this morning. Uh, My son has been looking at this, um, what do they call it? The, uh, it's a a statue that can have an image uh, directed on it to make it look like the statue is alive. Uh, I think there's, they're trying to build uh, one in every major city around the world and um, my son asked me did I think this was something connected to the Antichrist when he causes the statue to come to life and to seem human like and I said well it certainly is the technology could be used for it so it's it's not completely uh, you know he's not completely wrong about it but uh, it, it led me to a, 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 well, actually, he asked another question. He said, do you believe in pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation? Uh, rapture, that is. And I said, well, I believe in uh, pre, pre-tribulation rapture. And I said, and I'll tell you why. You know, in ancient uh, Jewish or Hebrew culture, uh, when, a, when a couple was married, there was a seven-day period whereby they would celebrate for seven days. And if you'll recall, there's a story where Jesus talked about a seven-day celebration of a marriage. And uh, it talks about how the, um, the father of the bride went out and asked friends who were uh, close friends of the family to come and join him in the celebration of his daughter's marriage and uh, they all had things to do they were busy 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 and so then he sent his servants out to compel those out in the streets to come and be because be part of the celebration because uh, there had to be people to celebrate and so they brought the people in and they gave them a new tunic Um, some people believe it's a coat some people believe it's some sort of covering that people would wear and it was white it was pure white and the uh, and then, of course, there were there were some that were found um, without a tunic who had showed up, and uh, they were cast outside of the gates, outside of the walls, where there's darkness and gnashing of teeth. Well, this was a clear uh, 
indication of what Jesus was talking about for those who accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and, you know, those who did not. You know, it talks about we will be given a, a, a crown and we will give, be given authority to rule and we will be given a white uh, coat or a white uh, robe to wear, those clothed in white. John talks about it in, in Revelation. Those he saw that were clothed in white and the angel said, you know who these are? And John said, I don't know who they are. And he said, these are those who came out of the great white, uh, the great tribulation, washed their robes in their own blood, basically those who died during the tribulation. But there were also those who were taken up in the rapture. And they were also given a white coat. So Jesus is making a, a, a um, comparison to this. And he's using a story to do it. Because we, we remember stories better than we do scriptures. And so as he made this story, uh, it was the seven days is very, very important. So back to the idea of the pre-tribulation. If it were mid-tribulation, that means that in the first three and a half years, we would go through the first three and a half years of tribulation, and then we would be taken to heaven uh, in the rapture. <clears throat> now, this can't be because the timing is all wrong. Uh, it should be seven days for celebration. Now, some people say seven years, seven days. Um, some people believe that we'll be in heaven for seven days, which, equi which equates to seven years here on earth. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a clue. I know that a thousand days is like one day under the Lord. <clears throat> that's the only comparison that we really have in the Bible that I'm aware of that talks about the time. Now, when we go up to heaven for three and a half years, it wouldn't be the marriage supper of the Lamb. It wouldn't be the celebration. Why would he use the, uh, the analogy of the seven days if that weren't true? And... Another thing is, um, or the other option is the post-tribulation uh, rapture, which means at the end of the seven-year tribulation, then Jesus would come back and take us up to heaven. Well, that doesn't fit either because the timeline is like this. The rapture occurs. We go to heaven for seven days or seven years. We have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, at that time, at the end of that time, we come back after all the plagues and the seven trumpets and seven vials and seven bowls are poured out on the earth uh, and all the tribulation occurs, we come back. We come back with Christ, who is on a horse now, who comes back to set up his rule and reign for a thousand years. And for that thousand year period, Jesus sets up his reign and he, the, the new Jerusalem comes down as a bride adorned for its... its um, it's a bride adorned for its groom, and um, Jesus sets up his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. He um, takes the devil and puts him in chains for a thousand years, and then he says he looses him for a small season. Now, I looked around for a small season, and I found that a small season or a season is considered seven years. And I can't remember where I found that, but I did find it in the Bible. Seven years is a, uh, a season. So... Satan is loosed, um, and I'm assuming it's the last seven years of the millennial reign. Satan is loosed, and he is able to tempt the nations one last time. Now, this is, this is necessary because I believe that we all have to make a choice, and there are those who are living on the earth who grew up during that thousand-year period um, who never knew what it was like to be tempted by Satan, and there are also those who came during the uh, tribulation who also lived through the tribulation and for the millennial reign 
who didn't have that choice either. Now, they did have the choice when during the tribulation, so it could be either way. It could be those who, you know, maybe those who didn't make it through the tribulation. I don't know. I'm not really sure, but I do know that the, the millennium comes at the end of the tribulation. That's a thousand years. Then at the end of the millennium, seven years before, this is my guessing, uh, based on the small season um, statement, uh, I believe that Satan is loose for a small season. He goes out to tempt the nations one last more, one last time. And then, of course, we know that there are those who follow Satan because the word says there was a number uh, that could not be counted around the city, the new city of, of God. They surrounded the city and they were going to take over and they were going to kill God and, you know, let Satan rule again. And um, God destroys them. Not Jesus, but God. God destroys them with a, a bolt of lightning or a, a flash of fire or whatever he does, but he destroys them. And then the great white throne of judgment. <clears throat> now, when the great white throne of judgment comes, you know, we're the dead stand before the Lord. It said the dead, uh, the sea gave up its dead. Uh, death, hell, and the grave gave up their dead. Uh, once again, here's a, here's a Hebrew idiom. It's sort of a saying. You know, like um, like down in the south, we'll say, um, you just assume sandpaper wildcats behind as to make me mad. It's a saying. It's an idiom. Uh, in Hebrew idiom, they would typically describe uh, one subject with three different ways. Like death, hell, and the grave were all the same thing. Um, and I know this is difficult for some people because you've been raised on the Catholicism thought that there is a purgatory and then there's a hell and then there's a heaven. Um, but when, when the Lord talks about uh, the, the hell giving up its grave, he wasn't talking about literally the burning place that we've all been told that hell is and where Satan and all of his demons live. That's not true. Satan is not the king over hell. He's not, he doesn't have dominion over hell like some people will give him that authority and, and that's never been the case um, the only authority that was given to Satan was the principality of the air and that's what the word says that after he was thrown out of heaven he was called the principality of the air the prince of the air okay so he has a principality he has a uh, an area that he is um, in charge of or that he has authority over and it's the principality of the air here on earth and that's it nowhere else and so we ascribe certain uh, authority, a certain amount of authority to Satan, and um, we're wrong. Um, that is a Catholicism way. That's a Catholic way. It, it is to keep hell alive, so it is a fear tactic, a uh, fear tactic that causes people to not only worry about, not only worry about where they're going to spend eternity, but I mean, not only worry about, you know, pleasing the Catholic Church on the earth, but also pleasing the Catholic Church beyond this earth. In other words, the Catholic Church has a reach that goes beyond uh, just this earth. It goes into hell, too. So there's a place called purgatory where you can actually be prayed out of purgatory, and it's like a stopover or a layover for hell. Anyway, we have to understand that hell, death, hell, and the grave are the same thing. So... When death, hell, and the grave give up their dead and they're, they're judged at the great white throne of, of judgment, those who are not found written in the Lamb's book of life, which we believe the Lamb's book of life contains the names of those who accepted Christ's free personal salvation, 
uh, and who are now kinship or kin, kinsmen to Christ and co co um, rulers with Him. So I think it's 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 safe to uh, to to believe that as God has separated the sheep from the goats in heaven through the great white throne of judgment, those who are cast into the lake of fire. Um, it's called the lake of fire or it's called the second death. Um, it's two different things and it's described again, the lake of fire, the second death. And we know that hell is not the resting place as some people would believe because it says death, hell, and the grave were all cast into the lake of fire. And this is called the second death. Now, second death to me means that, okay, if you've died, then your physical man is dead. He's gone. He's done. He lives on this earth. The physical aspect of man is, belongs to this earth. And the spiritual aspect of man has gone on to another place, another dimension. Okay, And if that's the case, then there's nothing else left to die of the man except for the spiritual part. And so when he says the second death, I believe this is the death of the second part of your uh, personage, which is the flesh and the spirit. And so I don't believe in a uh, continual uh, suffering of, you know, those who are damned or those who are cast into the lake of fire. It says this is the second death. I believe in annihilation. I believe in undone. Um, There's no suffering that goes on. In fact, the Bible speaks of the flame that is eternal, but it doesn't talk about the suffering that is eternal. Okay, so a lot of people get this confused. They use that hell as a as a way to you know terrify people into getting saved, and that's just not really what it's all about. So yes, the rapture comes before all of this, um, and those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up with the Lord. And so I believe that it definitely is a pre-rapture uh, um, tribulation. So hopefully this. Um, opened up some eyes and maybe stirred some thoughts for you. Um, if, if so, then be blessed and, um, don't take my word for it. Go to the Bible and read, read it yourself. You know, don't believe what I tell you, find it for yourself and then you know it. Thanks for tuning in folks.